Thank you, Hill Girls. Appreciate that. Beautiful singing and playing. Well, it's good to see everybody here this morning in the house of the Lord and some that we haven't seen for some while. It's great to be among you with the saints of God. <clears throat> so in the bulletin, there's, it's kind of, the information is vague and I, I think I frustrated Noah a little bit by just giving him vague information about sermon material this morning. And that is because I, I had a lot of thoughts in sermon prep and I, I really didn't know exactly where I was going to land until early this morning. So that's why it's vague and there's not much information in there. But as I reviewed all the notes, I feel like um, I, I had some definitive direction this morning. And I'm going to talk about the church. You know that this is a covenant class series that we, uh, we engage in on our communion Sundays. So our, our services are a little different. We do the opening song and the opening and then have the sermon. And after that, it's an opportunity to express to God our praise and worship after hearing His Word. And then we get to come together as a church family and rally around Christ at the Lord's table. It's a beautiful time. But I want to talk about the, the church this morning, and, and I actually have an introduction to my introduction. So this is my introduction to my introduction. But I, I, I just, um, the church is, is so important. And I want to, to say some things to even get our minds thinking about how amazing the church is. My text for this morning, just to, to give us a launching board, but also to be mindful of it, the remainder of the time, it's Ephesians 3, 9 through 11. The book of Ephesians is a tremendous book uh, and teaching that the Apostle Paul gives us about the church and the saints of God and, how, and the mysteries and how it all ties together. It's incredible. And in that incredible book, there's this one section of Scripture that speaks directly to the heart of the church and gives us an idea of how important it is and what's happening. Things that we often lose sight of. And in Ephesians chapter 3... Beginning in verse 9, it says, And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. And this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the ultimate purpose of and goal, both of creation and redemption, is the manifestation of God's divine wisdom. In his divine wisdom to redeem a fallen creation and a fallen people. And it's the church of God that is His instrument to make this happen, to fulfill this divine purpose that He has. So the, the recreated ones or the born again ones are God's masterpieces on earth. The, 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 the followers of Christ, those who have confessed Him as Lord are the ones among all who are living demonstrations of what God can do in the midst of a broken creation and broken humanity. 
it is an amazing thing that the world gets to witness, that we get to witness in each other that God gave us new hearts. And that now being pulled out of the world, we, 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 we love God with our new hearts and our unveiled faces. So we, we share the same world. Humanity shares the same world and we all pilgrim through this world, each of us as we see fit. But we are the only people by God's grace that take every step in life mindful of God. Nobody else does that in the right way. But because God's work in us, we, we do everything. And it's a struggle. We talked about that this morning. In the flesh, it's a struggle. But we do it by God's grace. We might even take a wrong, wrong step. But, but we do that mindful of God. So heavenly creatures watch us. That's what the text says. Heaven, the heavenly beings, both the, the, the unfallen, the righteous angels, and the unrighteous, if you follow Paul's train of thinking when he talks about heavenly beings in this book, it includes the fallen as well. They watch us go about our lives in this constant struggle of putting off the old and putting on the new, and they are absolutely amazed at the manifold wisdom of God and how God works His power in us and through us in our daily struggles, the struggles, the things, the decisions that we have to make every day as now a people who have been given new hearts and love God. This wisdom of God that is literally transforming us hours, seconds, minutes of the day. And so the, the church, to quote the Expositor's Bible commentary, the church becomes a mirror through which the bright ones of heaven see the glory of God. And the wisdom of God displayed in creation and embodied in Christ is a many-splendored thing, iridescent with constantly unfolding beauties. Church can become mundane. Just the thing we have to do, we force ourselves to do, to try to do the right thing. But it's not. It's not that's not church. It's not how heaven, even heaven, it's not how heaven looks at church. And I would think in, in particular when God's people gather as one people to drink in the splendor and the glory of God and to adore Him together, God is greatly glorified. So from heaven's perspective, the church has always been the most happening place on earth. The most happening place on earth because it's God's workshop. God has chosen. It's just His plan. God has chosen to manifest His glory and wisdom through the church. And we are the church. So it's the primary place, institution, where God brings forth His plan of redemption, which is an absolute amazing thing. The, the world's no longer amazed at the church. And that's not really that surprising. But quite frankly, what I find surprising is that the church is no longer amazed at the church. And that greatly troubles me. It troubles me about my own heart. 
and it troubles me for your hearts and for the hearts of the church. No longer amazed, but the, the, the heavenly beings are amazed at what we're doing. It's profound. It's powerful. It's, it's, it's transformational. It's, it's amazed at how the mysteries of God are unfolding. It's amazed at the new thoughts that bounce around in our head, the new thoughts that we walk out of church with every day because we availed ourselves to the Word of God. It's amazed at the times that we have said no to the flesh and yes to others and cared about others more than ourselves. It's amazed at these things. It's amazed that we continue to gather after all these centuries around the Lord's table and in remembrance of Him partake of the bread and the juice, proclaiming that He is here and He will come again. It is amazed that all of this is taking place. It's a beautiful thing. And all of this only, only happens in the church of God. Doesn't happen in Congress. Doesn't happen in NATO. Doesn't happen in Hollywood. And so the challenge, the introduction to the introduction is to not be distracted, but to be amazed at the manifold wisdom of God. Welcome to New Covenant Fellowship. We are here to work our way through another covenant class series, and of course this morning the topic is on the church, a very important doctrine that touches all of us. It's something that we cannot avoid as believers. And that is a proper understanding of the church. Ever since the church was physically formed, it has gone through ups and downs. If you look at church history, you see where it's this incredible manifestation and and, and incredibly effective. And then you see other times where it's just infighting and bickering and, and hardly effective at all. And it has ups and downs. And that's simply because it follows our finicky human nature where in our own lives, in our own walk, there are times where we can't get enough of God and then there are other times where we, we kind of wish God wasn't around. And we try to avoid Him. But a quick glimpse of History or church history will reveal that when people attended church, when people cared about church and participated in church, undoubtedly that's when the church of Christ is the most effective in glorifying Him and in being a light to the world. Uh, Understanding of church in Christian history is always that that's where you gain your, your robust and gritty faith is by gathering with the other saints and obeying the Lord in that attendance. It's no secret, we've been watching it happen for years, it's no secret that church attendance is waning in the West, not in in the whole world. It's gaining in other places of the world, church attendance. Churches are popping up everywhere. But in in our neck of the woods, if you will, uh, it's taken a dive. And Churches aren't just shrinking, they are dying. I recently read a LifeWay article, it was in 2019, that said, I, I, 
I think it said for the first time ever, I could be wrong about that, but I don't know why they would write it if that's not the case. But in, but in 2019, and it's still the case today, that more churches are closing their doors than opening. So now in our culture, we have more churches that are, are closing than opening. I've been a Christian for about 39 years and a pastor for 20. And I've seen it, even in my short lifespan. I've seen it with my own eyes. It's a decline. It's a decline of vigor. You drive by churches, you see hardly any cars in the parking lot. One of the comments that I'm sure you hear it as well, that I hear when people come and just visit this church, is they're, they're amazed at the young people. Now, why would they be amazed at how many young people we have? It's because when they go to other churches, they see that a lot of the churches, there are only elderly people. There's no one there. The next generation isn't there to carry on the work of that particular gathering of saints. During COVID, the government did something or said something that really brustled me. Bristled me, brustled me, ruffled me poked at me, and I'm sure it did you as well. And I know it's, they were very um, abnormal circumstances, and I'm not going to get into the whole COVID thing this morning. But boy, when the government came out, we're struggling with all this new stuff and people are dying, and the government came out and said that only essential entities and businesses will remain open, and the non-essentials, in order to mitigate this deadly disease and virus, they cannot open or then they were limited and we had to follow all kind of things. But the church was labeled non-essential. And again, I know, it's com- I know it's complex, but that just really ruffled me. And I'm not saying there's never a time to, to not come to church or to close the doors. There are things that happen. During war, they, they didn't meet at, at nights because you, you weren't allowed to um, turn your lights on. I think World War II, you weren't allowed to turn your lights on because then the bombs, the, the bombers knew where to send their bombs. So there's, just, there's different things you've got to work around. But just to be labeled as non-essential, that was a hard pill to swallow. Of course, as a pastor, my whole life revolves around Sundays. If I if I'm not here for whatever reason, I attend a wedding or we go on vacation, and I miss a Sunday, the rest of my week, I don't know what's going on. I'm disoriented. I don't know what day it is because my life revolves around Sundays. But I have to wonder if I, if I shouldn't bristle about something else. And that is, sad to say, many Christians see the church as non-essential. So I get mad at the government for labeling us as non-essential, and yet, in reality, in our culture, many Christians, their understanding of the church, as described in Scripture, is that it's not that important. It's not essential. I want to challenge that view this morning. That's all I want to do this morning. I'm just, I had a lot of different ideas and I'm not going to touch them. I don't know how long I'll be up here, honestly. It'll be more than five minutes. But that's what I want to challenge this, this morning is this idea that the church is non-essential, not important, 
that it's perfectly fine to be a believer and not pursuing the people of God and participating and, and doing life with the people of God. And I'm not talking about the, the extraordinary circumstances where you may be by yourself or your missionary things and you're there to church to plant a church, but there's nobody there. I'm talking about people that have access to it, but do not bother themselves or trouble themselves or have a spiritual conviction about the importance of the church. Because when you read Scripture, you do not come to the same conclusion that many believers are drawing today about the church being unimportant. It is very important. And we draw our necessity for togetherness, unity and togetherness for the people of God is extremely important to God. And our foundation for it is found in the Trinity, the Holy Trinity of God and the relationships of love and respect that take place up there. It is so important to God that we react and interact with each other in that way. So it's a huge problem. I don't have to tell you. It's a huge problem to not have a proper view of the church, to not be amazed at the church. If we continue on this trajectory, at least in this area, you know, the witness of God and the manifold wisdom of God will not be known as it should be on earth. But when the church gets sick, the, the universe suffers. That's how important the church is to God. It's not just like one person or one gathering. The universe suffers because God has chosen that little gathering or that big gathering to do good in the world. And so now the good that, that could be done is not being done in the world. So we want to value the church. If we don't love each other, how are we going to Share the love of Christ with the world. If the good news is not that good to us, we're not going to be motivated to share it with others. So, my intention this morning is certainly not to throw guilt. I don't want to throw guilt. What, what good does... Well, I mean, guilt actually can motivate people, but in the wrong way. I just want us, us to understand and get a clear picture of where we are in our culture and what's happening before our very eyes. And that is that a lot of what we're being fed, even in the church, is not a biblical view of the church itself. It is crucial. It's essential. And we are facing not just an individualistic view of humanity in our particular culture, but a hyper-individualistic view, a view that we should be self-reliant only, and independent only. And that's, that's contradictory to what Scripture says. But I just want you to know that the church might wane sometimes here and there. It might fizzle. It might get stepped on, disregarded. It might get beat up. But you just have to know that the church is going to outlast every institution on the earth. Every institution that has ever been originated, the church will outlast every one of these. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of God stands forever. What God has done in us is eternal. It will never, ever stop. 
and all these great powers that we fear and we see, and these things that we think, how could anybody ever, ever overcome such obstacles and powers and people and leader? leaders? They will be overcome, God tells us. In the end, there's, there's one man last standing, and it's Christ, and we're all behind him. So the church will stand above all other things. In, in, in God's perspective, in God's word, there's only one institution that the gates of hell will not prevail against, and it's the church. Everything else the gates of hell will prevail against, and it will not last. And that's because God says so, and what God says comes to pass. So we may be tempted to see the church as insufficient or fading and not as powerful as it could be, and, and that's true in some areas, but the bigger vision is that that is not the case. The church is being established as God intends for it to be established, though the things of the earth fade away. In fact, it's the things of the earth that long for what the church has. And yet we often see the church longing for what the things of the world. But if we look at Romans 8, beginning verse 18, or actually 19, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and what? Obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So what God has already given us, the freedom, that's what the rest of creation and the, the lost, those things that are not yet redeemed, are longing to have the freedom that we have, the freedom that God has given the church, the people, the gathered saints. The, the, the church doesn't just have a future. The church is the future according to the Word of God. The church is the most exciting thing happening on earth right now. And we often think that our, our, our Christian habits, you know, they, can, they can be lackluster. Our prayers, our, our daily devotions, our, our gatherings, our, what we read, a kind deed here and there, attending church, uh, giving our time, our resources to different causes as we see fit. And... And our tendency is to think it's really not that big of a deal. But all those little things and those little decisions, it's a huge big deal. Because that's the transforming power of God when you say no to sin and yes to Christ. Every time when you make these decisions, keeping in step with the Spirit, that's Christ transforming our hearts and transforming the world one heart at a time. It's an absolutely huge thing. Because all of those little decisions culminate in the kingdom of God realized in Christ. These are the very things that God intends to use to build His kingdom. They're golden. They're absolutely golden. You know, you're a young family, you got kids, and you're struggling to have the devotions, but you, you fight through it. I remember having 
daily devotions, when you first get married, you've got to figure out what that's going to look like. What does your family devotion look like as a newly married couple? Because you had individually individual devotions, and then you get married, and now as a leader of the home, you know, what am I going to do here? And so Lisa and I wrestled through that. We, we established good, strong daily devotions, and then the kids start coming. And uh, time alone is non-existent. Uninterrupted time, there's a diaper that needs to be changed or a baby that needs to be fed or a fight that's going on or something. There's always something. And so we had to struggle to reestablish family devotions. But the whole reason we did that is because God changed our hearts to love him, to order our marriages and our families to honor and serve him. And so when we do these, we fight these battles, whatever it might be in your life, we fight these battles, they are golden, they are kingdom gold to strive and struggle and fight to do things for the glory of God. That's how the church is established. That's what the heavenly beings are amazed at. So I guess you could say, you know, individualism or hyper-individualism Meet the church of God. The two things are on separate, separate trajectories. The self-reliance and the independence, and we don't really need each other. What is the church again? Let me just define it one more time. Uh, we looked at it a month ago, but simply put, from Wayne Grudem, the church is the community of all true believers for all time, and we looked at that. The church universal, if you've ever been a member of the church, the gathered ones, including the Old Testament, you put your faith in God, you're cleansed through the blood of Christ, you are a member of the church. There are church members up there that have gone before us, rooting us on, Hebrews says. There's heavenly beings amazed at, what, at what's happening. But, and it's a community of believers in the heavens. And we're the community of believers here, for now, on earth. But... Note the word community. The very word church, ecclesia, means gathered ones. So to have any kind of mindset of an individualistic Christian walk totally goes against uh, God's understanding of or, or original creation of the whole process of salvation and redemption because we are individually saved. You know, Martin Luther said, you've you got to do two things on your own. You've got to do your own believing and your own dying. Nobody else can do that for you. It's an individualistic thing. And that's true. But we are individually, personally saved into a family that God has created, that God has made. And so his plan for us is family living from this point on. God knows... Those that are his, and, I'm, and I know sometimes it's hard to know the true church. The true, true church is only true believers. But 2 Timothy 2.16 says the Lord knows those who are his. But we are a part, if we're believers, we're, we're part of a community that will always exist. It exists now, here, and in the heavens, and will always exist. So he saves us as individuals to be a part of something bigger. You will remember in the Father's Day message that the uniqueness of uh, the Judeo-Christian thinking about family is, first of all, children are a gift of God. That's just how Scripture looks at children. They are a precious 
individual unique gifts of God. And the second unique thinking is that, but they're not the center of the universe. They are born into a family. They're born into something bigger than they are. And the best thing we can do for our kids is to teach them that they are to be a part, not the center of, but a part of what God is doing. And everything is bigger. There's, there's a hierarchy, hierarchy of bigness. There's always somebody over us. When we come into the kingdom of God as little children, we come into something that's bigger than we are, that we get to be a part of. It's, it's the work of God. A community means that a community happens because you share things in common. You're not going to be much of a community if you're always fighting about things. But you find things that you have in common, that you value, that are important to you. And Christians have the same beliefs. We looked at important doctrines in our covenant class series. There are things that we uniquely believe about God and Christ as he's revealed them to us that enable us to be very passionate about the same things and therefore come together and you hear hearty amens when God's word is preached or when somebody says something or you see people praying about the same things, the same dangers or the same things that you want to see come to pass because we share the same vision. We are a community that ideally values the same things and that is because of what Christ has done in us and the eyes that he's given us to see it breaks my heart saddens my heart to see just to pick at our culture a little bit to see our nation being polarized politically and people finding more value in their political views instead of I'm talking about believers now. Instead of believers seeing the value of what we have in common in Christ and the oneness that we have here, that's pulled apart because now I have more in common with this political party or I have more in common with this political party than I do have in common with believers in Christ. There is something wrong with that. And it will catch up and bite us. That if we don't value the church as the most important thing, because in reality, what we have in Christ is what we have in common. And it is more important than all these other things that will fade away. Ecclesia means gathered ones. And we're gathered for a purpose, and that purpose is to serve God's purpose. To be His light, to be His salt. To love Him in private. Go home and love Him in private. Sure, we have our, our private lives with Christ. And our purpose is also to come together again and serve Him in that way. It all fits together. It's not in competition with one another. Christ's family. When we seek Him, He will lead us to His family. For He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. 
For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens of or with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Ephesians 2. You see how God sees, he, he looks down and that's how he sees us. We're, we're brick and mortar, brick and mortar to his grand plan and it's amazing. Everything we do. It, it's supernatural what God has done to pull us out of the darkness and into light. The church is not just essential, it's, it's glorious, it's amazing, and we get to be a part of it, we are a part of it, we are doing church. We're doing it by the grace of God, we're doing it because Christ lives in us. That's my challenge. That's my challenge for us this morning is to, is to rethink, and I know you guys, you value church, you love church. It's, this is not preaching to the choir, whatever. I know you do. But we have a culture out there, and we rub shoulders with others, or maybe we're struggling with it. Maybe we just needed a reminder of how important church is. Because if we don't keep that on the burner, the front burner, other distractions will surely take us away. God is making us one in Christ. He's removed the hostility. And only through Christ can two people from different whatever, ethnicity, geography, political views, sit down and agree on things. Because our peace is found in Him and what He says is true. So, love the church. Be amazed at the church. As I thought about this this morning, it dawned on me that I'm so grateful for teaching that I received early on as a believer about the importance of the church. And I began to kind of rehearse my history and when Lisa and I got married, our, we've always been about the church. And I'm not taking credit, it's just got what we were taught by God's Word. We just, our lives revolved around the church, not the church around our lives. And so we literally, I literally built my house in this place to be closer to the church. I purpose to work in such a way or learn trades in such a way that I could be closer to home and wouldn't have to travel so much. It's just me. But church, everything, and here we are, decades later, still a part of this family. And it's one of the best decisions I think I've ever made to watch my kids. Now I get to watch your kids come up through the family that God is working in so uniquely and so amazingly. I give glory to God for His gracious, powerful work. And I hope that when I look at you and when I think about what God is doing on this earth, that I will be just as or more amazed than the heavenly beings who look down and see the mirror of the demonstration of the manifold wisdom of God. So as the body of Christ, let's sing our praises to God and come around the table and celebrate the Lord's Supper for the remainder of our time this morning.